are starting a new series this morning, and so it's a four-week series, and the, the series title is I Deserve. And one of the reasons why we thought it was really important to do this series is that what we've come to understand probably over the last year or so, probably, probably, yeah, probably the last year or so, is that there are a lot of Christians who have a wrong theology around a few things to do with God, and you have a wrong way of thinking about things to do with God. So we thought this would be a really good um, series to just address some of those things. Now, some of this you guys will be absolutely fine with, and you'll be like, oh, no, I fully understood, and that was fine. But that's not the case for everybody. So I really wanted to bring this series. We wanted to have a, have, have put this out there for you. So the next four weeks is going to be all about how Jesus loved people who actually didn't deserve it. So week two, we're going to talk about um, how we might have deserved condemnation, but God has given us grace. And we're going to talk about that by using the, um, the woman caught in adultery. And in week three, we're talking about how you may have deserved rejection, but how God instead has offered us acceptance. And that story we're going to look at is um, Zacchaeus. And then in week four, we're going to look at a story of Peter. And Peter, of course, who should really have been discounted and, and with everything he did because he continually failed, he continually screwed up. And right when Jesus really needed him, he screwed up again. And instead of being counted out, God gave him a second chance. And there are a lot of us who don't actually realize that we ourselves carry these things. We carry condemnation and we carry rejection and it stops us from being able to fully embrace everything that God has for us. Does that make sense? So this morning, the first one we're talking about is about, um, I deserve death, but Jesus gave us life. We're actually going to look at a story about two thieves who did deserve death, who were guilty. They should have, they, de they did deserve it, but instead, because of the grace and the love of Jesus, one of them actually received life. And I'm quite passionate about this, and I'm quite passionate about us having a true understanding about what that means, because at the end of the day, we all deserve death. I remember when I got saved. I was 15 years old when I got saved. I was not raised in church. I was 15 when I got saved. I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years now. And I was, remember, even now, 30 years later, I remember how lost I was. I know the path I was heading down. I know where I was going. And even today, you know, while I was working on this message over this week, I kept so thankful that he found me because I was that lost. And a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, when I found God. No, no, God is never lost. We are lost. And so 30 years later, this thinking about where I was headed can still bring me to tears, and I'm still so passionately thankful and grateful that he found me when he did. Can anyone say amen? Yeah. So the first thing that we need to understand, and it's kind of a good foundational understanding, and if you are taking notes, and I highly encourage you to take notes because that way you can retain what we're talking about. If, if you are taking notes, there's one kind of big thought that's going to cover this whole message, and that is that we are all guilty of breaking God's laws. We are all guilty of breaking God's laws. We are. How many of you in your lifetime, now being honest, how many of your lifetime have ever lied? Oh, look at you, all liars sitting in church. You guys all put your hands up, every single one of you. Every single person has lied. Some of us have stolen things. Some of us have uh, broken quite a few of the Ten Commandments, maybe not the worst ones, but you know what I mean. Like every single one of us has done something. 
And if you're a visitor, I'd just like to welcome you to a revival. We are really encouraging. <laughs> so every single one of us, at some stage in our life, has actually broken all of God's laws. In fact, what's interesting is in James 2 verse 10, it says, For the person who keeps all of the laws except for one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. See, James here was writing and he was saying that we cannot be selective in our obedience to God. We cannot pick and choose what we will obey and what we won't. We can't say, okay, God, I agree with what you say about murdering people, so I am not going to do that, but I actually disagree about the adultery thing, so I'm going to keep doing that and assume that that's going to be okay. You see, God cares about the whole law. You see, if you have ever lusted after something, and that's not necessarily a person, but it could be a car or it could be a house. If you've ever cheated someone or yourself, if you've ever lied, if you have ever gossiped or judged someone, then you are guilty of committing all, breaking all of God's laws. That's how this works. Because we're all guilty of breaking all of God's laws. And what happens when we break God's laws? Because if you break a law, there's got to be a consequence or a punishment of some kind. And in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So if you have been breaking God's laws, then your punishment, then your consequence, then your result of breaking God's laws is death. That's right. So we've got this really interesting passage in Luke chapter 23 about these couple of criminals who were hung beside Jesus. So it's a fairly long passage, but I want to read it just so we can get a really good overview, and then I'm just going to break it down, all right? So Luke chapter 23, verse 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do, not even fear, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, Trin, it's a bit early for Easter. We know that the eggs are already out in the store since January, but it's still another four weeks. But this is actually really relevant to us, not just at Easter, but it's relevant to us all the time. And it starts off in verse 32. There were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death, and they were crucified beside him. Now, I want to explain something to you about Roman punishments. You see, inside the city of Rome, you weren't actually supposed to shed the blood of a person 
who was a criminal. That was, that was one of their rules. So they had these really inventive ways of killing people, of executing people, of, of punishing people who were criminals. Uh, they did pretty awful things. Like they actually had this really high cliff and they would take people to that cliff and they would just push you off and then you would break and shatter upon the rocks. And that was one way that they would execute you. Another way if they wanted you executed inside the city square so that people could see what was happening is that they would literally just strangle you. They just strangle you. That just seems a little bit um, anticlimactic, I think, for some criminals. But anyway, that's what they would do. The other one that they used to do is they would get a leather sack and they would put inside this leather sack a monkey, a chicken, a snake, and the criminal. They would then tie up this leather sack and they would chuck it into the river. You can imagine that's going to be a pretty interesting way to die, right? Then they had the crucifixion. And with the crucifixion, of course, you were nailed to the cross through your feet and through your, through your hands. And you, while you were there, you would be out in the sun. And what would happen is that quite often your shoulders would dislocate. And so that you could breathe, you would have to stretch up on your legs, take a breath, and then slump back down. And eventually, after days of being in the sun, with the sun beating down and you having lo losing control of all your senses and being totally dehydrated, um, you would eventually suffocate to death. Quite often, though, if they needed to speed it up, because we're talking these, this could take days, they would break the femur bone in your leg, which apparently, according to uh, medical professionals, is actually one of the most painful bones to ever break. And that was just to stop you from being able to stretch up and get, and get breath. The other thing about this that was quite interesting is that they did this to the guys or to the people who they were crucifying, they were naked. The reason why they were naked is because they wanted to add a touch of humiliation to your punishment. It was a painful, excruciating, humiliating way to die. But the other thing that's kind of interesting about this, it was also the most expensive way for them to execute someone. You see, the other things would happen quite quickly, would be over in 10 minutes. So you could throw this guy into a sack with everything else and chuck him in the river, done in 10 minutes. Less than two minutes to push somebody off a, you know, off a cliff. But a crucifixion required four soldiers and a centurion. So your manpower, the cost of the manpower to pull off a crucifixion meant it was expensive. And he's probably saying, well, that's a nice history lesson, Trin. And if you've been in our church long enough, you know I do that. What that tells us is that these guys who have been crucified, Rome wanted to make sure that they were humiliated. They wanted to make sure it was painful. And they didn't care that it cost them. Now, I don't know what they did. The Bible actually doesn't tell us what they did. But it must have been pretty bad, right? For them to spend that sort of money on crucifying someone. I mean, we understand why the Pharisees wanted Jesus humiliated, but we don't know what these other two guys did. And so here they come, and they're in this horrible situation. We pick it up in verse 39, and it says, Then one of the criminals who was hanging blasphemed him and saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And the other one answered, rebuked him, saying, do, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And what I want to suggest to you this morning, very gently, so that you're not offended, but very humbly, is that we 
are one of those two thieves. Spiritually speaking, we are one of those two thieves. And what I want to do is explore what these two thieves were like so that you can determine for yourself which one you are. Are you thief number one or are you thief number two? See, the first criminal says, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. He was blaspheming Jesus, which means he was probably swearing and cursing at him in amounts to the whole thing. And we only had that kind of sentence to go on. But what does it tell us about this guy, about this criminal? Because we don't know his name, we don't know where he came from, we don't know what he did. But what we can see is that he's quite arrogant. He's full of pride. He's really critical. He's entitled. He has no fear whatsoever of God. And he's actually up there and he's actually dying and he is still trying to heap ridicule upon somebody else. And then he says, because there's, there's only one thing he's interested in, which was getting off the cross, right? So he says, hey, Jesus, if you truly can do this, then get me off as well. And I'll be honest with you, there are some people who approach Jesus this way. There are some Christians who approach Jesus this way. We kind of had this idea that it's about heaven and hell, and so we think to ourselves, well, I want to stay out of hell, so you know what? I'll, I'll come to church. I'll pray the little prayer if somebody will tell me how it goes. I'll tick the little card that says I was here and I made a decision for Jesus. I'll even come to your next steps lunch, but don't actually ask me to do anything. Don't actually ask me to repent of what I'm doing. I want to live my life Monday through to Saturday how I want, but I'll turn up to church on a Sunday just to make sure I get into heaven, just so I can slip through that door. And he has this attitude, and he has this entitled mindset that he actually hasn't really done anything wrong. And if we're going to sum it up, I would sum up this particular thief as being unrepentant. He's unrepentant about what he's done and what he's done to be there. But the second guy, the second criminal, he is equally as guilty. Whatever he's done, he is actually there because he deserves to be there. But he actually has a different perspective. And in verse 40, he says to the other thief, he says, Do you not even fear God? Do you not even fear God? He's like, Jesus is here. He's done nothing wrong because at the end of the day, everybody knew Jesus had done nothing wrong, but he's still hanging here. He's like, don't you even fear God? We are here because we deserve it. But Jesus isn't. Jesus is here and he's innocent. He's saying, we broke the law. This is our deserved punishment. And he recognizes something. He realizes that he has done wrong and he's broken in this moment and he's humble in this moment. And he actually has some fear of God. And if we're going to summarize the second thief, what we're going to say is that he's repentant. He realizes he needs mercy. He realizes that he needs help. And he knows he can't do anything. And in that moment, he begins to call out to Jesus. What I find really interesting is that we live in a world where our culture has so shifted over the last 20 years. 20 years ago, if you would say to people, hey, you're living a wrong life, you know, you need to make up for this, you need to stop doing that, most people would say, yeah, you're right. They would actually stop and they would have a conversation with you. You try saying that to somebody today, they're going to get up in your face. They're going to be, don't you tell me I'm sinning. Don't you tell me I can't live my truth. Don't you tell me I can't do what I feel is right. There is no way that our current climate and our current world that we live in will actually sit back and go, you know what? You're right, I am a sinner. 
The problem is when we have a mindset where we think I am not a bad person and I'm not doing anything wrong, that I can live my life the way that I want. When we have that mindset, is that because we are comparing ourselves to people and not comparing ourselves to God. We have to recognize that we are all have broken God's laws. And we have to start there because until we recognize that we have all sinned, then we don't recognize that we need a savior. And believe me, we need a savior. In that moment, when we recognize that we have fallen short, that we have got it wrong, that we are uh, in sin, that we need someone to reach out for us, it is that moment that we become a candidate for grace. If you are unrepentant and full of pride and full of arrogance, then unfortunately, you are thief number one. And there are too many people in our world who live like that. But if you recognize, hey, I've messed up, I've done something wrong and I need forgiveness, then you are more like thief number two. See, until you can see your sinfulness, until you recognize that you are sinful, you will never acknowledge that you need a savior. And without that, there's no grace for you. It's a little heavy, sorry. Have you ever, have you ever got a speeding ticket? Put your hand up, Madison. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever had a parking ticket? Yeah? Have you ever been pulled over by the cop because you did something wrong? You know? When we moved here about 12 or 13 years ago, I was, I was driving. I had to, I was driving because I, I was still working in Rewa. And I was driving down Seddon Street, and this is before they put the roundabout in. So you drive down Seddon Street, and then I'll go left onto Pyrata, and then out to, to Manukau, right? Which is all good. Except this one day, I did what I always did, came down, swung, swung around the corner, and this cop pulled me over. And I'm like, why is he pulling me over? Like, seriously, I wasn't speeding. I was doing everything right, like, you know, like everything, like, everything should be all good. I do not understand why this guy had pulled me over. Anyway, he comes over. And he looked a bit harassed, and he looked a bit stressed. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. So, you know, put the window down and got my license ready. And, and he says, oh, you know, license. Great. So I give him my license. He says, do you know why I pulled you over? And I went, no, actually, I don't, because I wasn't speeding. He goes, no, you weren't speeding. He goes, I pulled you over because you treated that stop sign like a giveaway. And I went, I, I went, <gasps> I went to argue with him, and I thought about it. I went, oh, crap, he's right. I did. <laughs> so I changed my tact, and I didn't say, I just went, Actually, you're right, I did, I did. I treated it like a giveaway. I, 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 just, I just, you know, I didn't stop. I just kept driving. I said, I am so sorry. I said, thank you for bringing it to my attention. I will make sure that I don't do that again. And then I put my hand out. He hands me my license, and I've still got my hand out. I'm waiting for the ticket. And he says, actually, you're the first person who's actually acknowledged that, that you did that. He goes, everybody else has been fighting me on it all day. He goes, you know what? He goes, that's your warning, off you go. And I always think about that because I'm like, if I had reacted at him, if I had gotten in his face, if I had denied doing that, I guarantee you he would have given me a ticket. But because I acknowledge actually he's right, I have done wrong, I did screw that up, he let me off. And that is a picture of grace. If you come to God and you say to him, I have sinned, I am sorry, I'm an idiot, I screwed up, I got it wrong, do you know what you're going to get? You're going to get grace. You're going to get grace. And this is absolutely amazing to me. And the reason why this is absolutely amazing to me is because 
God extends grace to us every step when we say to him, I'm sorry. When you say to him, I screwed up. When you say to him, I got it wrong. He will always extend you grace. He will never um, hold, you, uh, hold you accountable to what really you deserved, which was, I should have got a ticket, right? Yeah, so should have got that ticket. But I'd like to point out, I have never had a ticket for anything, and all the speeding tickets that come to the house, the car's in Craig's name, so they're his speeding tickets. <laughs> he keeps trying to argue, but I'm like, it's in your name. I, it's not my ticket. So both these thieves, though, both these thieves were guilty. Both these thieves were guilty. They had done wrong. They weren't fighting that. They acknowledged that they had done wrong. The judgment that they were facing, the punishment that they were facing was true. It was right. It was what they deserved. But what happened was one of them was unrepentant about it, and one of them was repentant. I find it quite interesting that both of them were equally next to Christ, that Jesus was in the middle, these two guys were on the, either side of him. They both had the same connection to Jesus in that moment. They both spent about six hours roughly hanging on a cross with Jesus. They both saw and heard the same things. They were both suffering just as severely as Jesus was. They were both dying and they both needed forgiveness. And in that moment, only one of them recognized his need and the other one didn't. One of the things that, that deeply concerns me, and, and I actually spent a bit of time praying about it last night, was that we have people in our church who are sitting side by side, and you're both singing the same songs, and you're both hearing the same message, and one of you is going to say, I actually don't need Jesus to that level, and he, you're going to end up being unrepentant, and the other person next to them is actually going to say, I need Jesus, and are going to fall upon their knees and worship of him and receive grace. And that concerns me that we have a church sometimes, and I'm talking globally, I'm not talking about us specifically. We have a church sometimes that cannot see that they need a saviour. And when this second um, criminal calls upon Jesus, his life gets transformed in the most amazing, spectacular way. Because not only does he receive forgiveness in that moment, but he is transformed, he is changed, he is a new creation, and he actually gets to spend his time with Jesus. The second thief deserved death, but Jesus gave him life. And the most amazing thing about that is his story is actually my story, and it's your story. You deserved death, and Jesus has granted you life. And the way that Jesus has done this really illustrates the beauty of God's grace. See, if this doesn't draw you to love God, doesn't draw you into his presence, then I actually don't know what will. And this is the amazing thing that I love about this whole passage is in verse 42, and it says, then he said to Jesus, this is the criminal, he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I will, uh, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. It wasn't a whole big long prayer of, you know, oh, Father, I beseech you to, you know, show mercy upon this unrepentant servant of yours. It didn't have to be this long, drawn-out, over-top, wordy prayer. All it was was simply, Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be begging. 
Three simple words. Remember me, Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? And in that moment when the guy, the criminal, reaches out to Jesus, and in that one moment, what does Jesus do? He goes, assuredly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. And in that moment, right there, everything changes. This guy gets taken out of the kingdom of darkness, gets translated into the kingdom of Jesus. His whole entire life, his whole eternity is changed in a moment. And it's such an amazing picture of Ephesians 2 verse 8. Ephesians 2 verse 8 is, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You have been saved by grace through faith, not by works. You have been saved by grace through faith, and not by works. By the grace of God, through believing what Jesus has done on the cross, that is enough. You don't have to do anything else. You're not made right with God by going to church. You're not made right with God by tithing. You're not made right with God by serving on a team. You're not made right with God by living a good life. You're not made right with God by not swearing at the cat or kicking your neighbor. You are not made right with God when you stop bad things or when you um, follow religious rules. You are made right with God by grace through faith, through accepting what he says. That thief... It is the perfect picture of that. When you sometimes think, oh, it's too easy and I really need God to, to give me a job to do so that I know that he's forgiven me. That's not how it works. This thief, he was hanging on the cross so he couldn't suddenly start walking the straight and narrow because his feet were nailed to the cross. He couldn't start performing any good works because his hands were nailed to the cross. He couldn't turn over a new leaf because he's literally dying. And he couldn't join a church or a connect group or a serve team because he actually couldn't get himself off the cross. And in that moment, though, he has still granted the fullness of salvation. He has still been fully redeemed. It is not about what you do. It's about who you are calling upon. And Psalm 103 verse 10 says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done at all. He will not punish you according to your iniquities. His mercy is great towards those who fear him. He will take those iniquities and your sins and he will throw them as far as the east is from the west. Do you know how liberating that is? How freeing that is? He has removed our transgressions from us. As the band comes, I just want to wrap this up. And if we can have the musicians as well, that'd be awesome. You see, good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. It's not enough. You can't be good. There's no point. If you're a good person, but you don't have Jesus, you are not going to heaven. And if you're a really bad person, but you find Jesus at the end, you're going to heaven. And the reason why you're going to heaven is not because of ourselves, but it's because he is good. It's because he loves us. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you more. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you less. There's no sin that you can commit that will make him turn from you. It's, be not, it's because... He's not just someone who loves. He is love. It's who he is. And he loves you so much that he sent Jesus. 
who Jesus, who did not consider it equality with God to be something to grasp, but he came as a servant. And instead of sitting upon a throne, the King of Kings, and instead of the, the Prince of Heaven, he comes to earth, and instead of sitting on a throne, he hangs himself on a cross. And instead of wearing a golden crown, he wears a crown of thorns. And instead of being surrounded by servants, he was surrounded by thieves. And he was innocent and he deserved to live. But for us, for our sake, he was willing to die. See, Jesus took on the sin of the world. He took on my sin and he took on your sin. And he looked up to heaven and he said, it is finished. I have done what you've sent me to do. And into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. And when he did that, the earth shook. And the sky went dark and the centurion actually said, surely this was the Son of God. And at that point, everyone thinks it's over. Everyone thinks it's done. But we know now and all of heaven knew that in three days time, he was going to rise again. And he was going to actually embody life because he had overcome sin and death. He had defeated hell. He took back the keys of the kingdom. See, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. We have to recognize we don't have the potential of eternal life because we're good. We have it because He is. And I praise God because my sin, which deserved death, He has redeemed. And it says in 1 Peter 1-3, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, if anyone is in Jesus, they are a new creation. The old has been made new. Whatever those things are that have bound you are no longer because you are redeemed. And I know that this past year has been a little difficult for everyone. And I know sometimes we can look at the circumstances surrounding us and we forget what he did when he saved you. Do you remember what that was like, that moment when you committed yourself to him? And you had that moment where you suddenly felt free, where you suddenly felt loved, where you suddenly realized that you were a child of the Most High God. Do you remember that? That was one of the best days. That's the best day of my life. I love my husband. I love my children. But that day surpasses everything. So I want us to take a moment. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes and, and not be distracted by anybody else. I want you to remember that moment. Remember that moment when you realize he's gifted you life. Remember that moment when he has taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of his dear son. Remember that moment when he called you son when he called you daughter. Remember that moment when he has redeemed you. When the enemy comes and he's whispering those sins to you and he's whispering those words to you, I want you to remember that moment. Because in that moment, I am a child of the Most High God. I am redeemed. I am saved. My sin is no more. I stand pure and I stand holy. you to take this moment and I want you to thank him. It may be that you're going to say it out loud. Maybe that you're going to raise your hands. 
and maybe that you're just going to say it in your head, but I want you to take this moment, express your gratitude and thank Him.